I don't wish to add to uh, the theory that there is a, a conspiracy going on where people listen to our podcast and then manipulate the world to try and undermine our conspiracy theories. But not only is this crow's stairway to heaven come out in October, my local blockbuster is now officially closing down. Uh, and Orphan Black Season 1 has appeared on all the streaming services. It, someone's out there listening to us, I'm sure of it. And they're, and they're like, they're, they're on to us. Let's throw them off the scent. At least the crows stay in heaven. Let them have their one series wonder. <laughs> Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Justin, we have a problem. The day started out much as days always did these days, with Leo once again regaling me with his vast, intricate conspiracy theory. Technically, you know, if you're gonna, if you showed it to someone who was born yesterday uh, with a fully formed critical faculty, they say, "But it's not very coherent." It's like, I yeah, didn't ask seriously, to take him, not, but he but seemed to be convinced he was close to something. Uh, then we received a mysterious communication from some mysterious stranger in a faraway place that told us that he had information vital to our cause. We both suspected something, but little did we realise where it would take us. Here we are on the fifth moon of Jupiter. Look, it's Optimus Prime. Greetings, ladies kids. Welcome to our small hidden base. Please allow me to throw a banquet in your honour. Follow me. Aren't you worried Michael Bay will find out about this place and shut you down? It looms like a shadow over everything we've built here, but I've recently made a deal that will keep Big Bay out of here forever. How is everyone today? Michael Bay! Uh, my job as a director is I get to dream for a living. It's a trap! Leo, shoot him! Our weapons had no effect upon him. It was almost as if the explosions and bullet noises somehow just made him stronger. But it's, I think it's really satisfying and it's fun. In the end, our defeat was inevitable. Optimus! Autobots! How could you? The Autobots, there's like, they're so good, you know, and there's a lot of bad in the world, and it's like, they're always doing the right thing. Fair enough, I'll bear that in mind. Leo will be frozen in carbonite. It's a post-production a process. Leo, Leo, I, I, I value you as a friend. I know. He's alive and in perfect hibernation. Load Captain Stableford onto my trailer. No, where are you taking him? Where's Optimus going? It goes into outer space, it goes to China, it goes to Hong Kong. It's like, uh, uh... 
goes all over America. No! And that is why Leo can't be here today. Uh, um, yeah, Ian, that's complete rubbish. Um, as you well know, uh, Leo and Sue are, in fact, on a break in Tembe, and uh, that clearly is a work of fiction on your your part. A work of fiction? How dare you break my fourth wall? Sir, my plotline was completely original in every conceivable way. Um, may I point you in the uh, direction of uh, Empire Strikes Back? There's certain similarities, I suppose, <laughs> on a superficial level. Uh, but uh, this conversation of plagiarism uh, fascinates me. Uh, could you uh, perhaps expand upon this uh, for an interesting conversation, sans Leo? I think I might be able to, yes. Uh, well, this kind of comes from a, a little comment I made in a previous podcast concerning some of the shenanigans that go on with, with some of the animation studios. In those of you who are aware of what's been released over the last few years, will notice occasionally there are some similarities between <laughs> some of the releases, let's say. Like, um, like, like ants and bugs and... Bugs like uh, Shark Tale and Finding Nemo. There's, there's a few. Every every kind of few years, they'll, they'll be surprising enough. Maybe it's usually one of them will be released maybe a year earlier or a few months earlier. This is not a coincidence, okay? Just a shout. <laughs> Just to kind of remove some of the naivety. That some I, of the, I thought uh, fish films were just in the zeitgeist or um, something. Yeah, I mean, I think plagiarism is kind of actually pretty broad, but I think certainly in films where where the productions are kind of along, there is there in, uh, people are employed to be on different projects. Then if people jump ship early on, you know, they may well take some insider knowledge somewhere else, or indeed, you know, maybe coaxed to do so. For instance, there are some hints of this. If you look at Shrek, uh, I'm not saying Shrek plagiarizes Disney. It purposely parodies it. Uh, but the reason there's a lot of anti-Disney sentiment in that film um, and some absolutely direct kind of instance of that is because, you know, a load of disgruntled animators from Disney ended up working for Dream- DreamWorks. So this has gone on for some time. So the first thing I, I say, Bugs Life and Ants were the first kind of I remember from in recent memory of, uh, of kind of Pixar and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's clear that some animators left, joined uh, DreamWorks and might have mentioned, you know, that certain films were being made about certain types of things. And then the other animation council goes, right, right, let's get this out quickly. And so they attempt to get it out before as if so that they steal the thunder. Yes. Uh, this, happens, this has happened several times. This provokes several lines of thought. Uh, firstly, my goodness, you must be a very disgruntled employee. You know, to, to be provoked into trying, right, they're, they're doing a film about, I don't know, piranhas. We'll do a film about piranhas. It's a lot of effort and money and time to pour into a project just to spite your former boss. I mean, that, that's, uh-huh. that's, that's huge. And, 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 uh, um, and well, also, my, yeah. uh, my goodness, you must be pissed off with your previous employee. Yes, the, the sheer scope of fury and frustration. Well, well, I believe, uh, certainly in Disney, uh, Michael Eisner did, did provoke a lot of hostility. He wasn't a very popular boss and didn't, you know, from what I understand. But it's more, you know, it's, I, I guess, if you've got a big company, they do can behave in kind of an outrageous manner that could, you know, if you have any kind of moral 
sense feel that it's it's you don't want to work for that company anymore. Yes, it, it does. It does smack of corporate because uh, I have an anecdote which I will yes <laughs> well, go right ahead. Reveal the exact date, but this shows you the extent of what companies are prepared to do. So you've heard of Fern Gully, of course. Naturally. Uh, now, Fergally wasn't a huge success, you know, and um, uh, there are a couple of reasons for that, mainly because the animators uh, had to kind of rush through the work, and so the quality wasn't up to it. Now, okay, you might think, well, maybe that's just the problem with scheduling and things like that, but it doesn't help when the building that you're, you're working for, you're working in, um, is bought by another corporation. <laughs> No. During production. And, you know, should a certain large uh, production company want to disrupt someone who is an ex-employee who's starting up their own project and making their own films, then if you were particularly ruthless, you might decide just to buy the building out and turf all the animators out on the street, which is pretty much what happened with, with Fern Gully. That's pretty ruthless. That's, that's uh, yes. a vendetta yes. style. <laughs> Mind you, I suppose yes. this, Disney has the money to do these kind of shenanigans, doesn't no, no, it? Disney might not be. Um, we can't really uh, draw attention to exact who might be responsible. Oh for yes, things. I, I'm uh, sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure which, whichever company did that uh, had a lot of resources available for such a few. Well, it, it does occur to me this this would be how suits operate. The yeah. executive, because I imagine animators are, are fairly chilled up people who love looking at other people's work. I would, I would assume, because they're peers mm-hmm. with each other, and also they move around, they work with each other on different projects. They presumably want to keep a chilled out vibe going in the community. So it, it entirely seems to me it's this distorting element of you know the executive is out to make money, and if he's not out to make money, he'll make sure I his think, competitors make, don't make as much money. I think the problem is, I mean, it's, it's obviously down to suits, and I think fundamentally, if you're a, if you're a creative person. Your mind doesn't really gel with the idea of big business and corporate suits. It's just an, an anthem to you. It just is not virtually all creative people I know are mm. not driven by such things um, and have a kind of problem with. So if you are part of a large company that is somewhat underhand in its actions, then I'd say probably, you know, creatives are more sensitive to reacting to such things rather than just going, oh, well, they're paying me lots of money. I'll do whatever. I don't yeah. have any any qualms with that, um, especially when actions are against, you know, other creative individuals. who. So I can see that, you know, a lot of people being disgruntled and choosing to stab previous employees in the back if they get the chance. Also because these are artists, these are, these are creative guys, they have ideas and these ideas are getting blocked. And so, you know, it's it's quite common for people to break off and try a stab on their own somewhere with a venture capital or jump to a, a competitive company with their idea and their portfolio, I, I, I would imagine. Um, uh, well, you get, look, with, with, certainly with animation, it's a skill that takes a long time to learn. Yeah. And after, after you've been doing that a while, you have all the abilities, certainly the top animators... Uh, people like Don Bluth have got all the abilities to do their own thing. It's just that they don't lack the resources, and obviously you need to build up a team. So after a while, you, don't, you might not want to be dictated what project you're working on. You might want to just go and do whatever you want without any strings attached. So, I mean, obviously, the bigger the company like Disney um, will have a very tight rein on what products come out, and they've got a very, you know, in their mind, 
they have a target, an audience that they need to please. They don't always get that right. But, so therefore they, they have, you know, they are only going to make certain types of films. And if you are, if you, I can kind of liken it a bit to myself actually, who's worked in publishing and for years I worked for Disney and there is only, you know, I'm not deep down essentially a person that wants to draw Winnie the Pooh in my life. You know, it, I, I need something a little bit more interesting. Um, so at some point I decided that I would, you know, look for, projects that the words that kind of family friendly stuff so the same thing is going to happen to an animator they're going to want actually you know really i want to adapt to this book and this book is never going to be chosen by disney because it's not thematically right you know it maybe it's a bit too dark and it's, maybe it's an older audience all these kind of things so you know eventually you're going to take your skills and you're going to go elsewhere to set up your own project so clearly i mean don bluth did a number of you know he's I feel a bit sorry for Don Bruce because he's worked on um, a number of fantastic kind of projects, Secret of Nim, um, Fern Gully, but he's never really achieved like amazing success because it's it's very difficult to do something in the style. He's a Disney trained animator, so he's going to do stuff. It's going to look Disney, yeah, and so everyone's going to compare it to that, even though you're like, well, I'm trying to do my own thing. It's it's. So he's always gonna like he's ripping off Disney, but that just because that's just because he's gone through the process and that's how he draws, you know, that's how he that's well, his style. Such is the sort of gravitational influence of Disney. In many ways you can just say it as it's Western animation style in, in a funny sort of way. I mean I think really uh, the problem is well it's not a problem, but I mean the, the, Disney created a particular approach, exactly Western style, that really no one really touched or has People tried on a, on a kind of a, on the 2D animation side. Really, no one could really touch them. I mean, it just requires such a, an amazing amount of resources and team that just the costs are, you know, prohibitive. And therefore, and it's such a brand name that anything is going to be compared to it. And that's why they, they gained that, they had that crown for years, despite stupid decisions. I mean, Disney as an incredibly knee-jerk company. Yeah. Think about it. They, they, I, you seem to, I imagine before I start working to Disney that, you know, they are a very, because of the money involved and the theme parks, else, there would be a confident company. But when you actually look at the periods of Disney, whoever's running them, um, at certain points makes stupid decisions because they are, they are literally scared of losing money. They always are trying to, trying to guess what they think the audience is. But they make stupid decisions when they try and, instead of sticking it safe, they try and pick audiences that Disney does not appeal to. So you get kind of these, if you look back at the kind of different ages of Disney, they kind of, it's like a roller coaster ride. You know, you have, um, you know, the early years where, you know, they're making films sporadically every three to five years. And you would call them classics, you know, because every time a Disney film came out, it's an event. Yeah. And there's such a time between them that they've got time to pick and choose the absolute perfect property. And I would be hard-pressed to pick a bad film that Disney produced up up to the 70s. You know, they were all pretty amazing quality. Then, obviously, people want to start making money and they want to start churning things out. And then, you know, Disney, instead of just going, well, our target audience is six or seven, mm. young, predominantly female girls, so we'll, lots of princess movies... As a safe and Winnie the Pooh, that kind of stuff, they decide, no, we actually will, we want boys and we want kind of teenage boys. You know, teenage boys will never admittedly go and see a Disney film. Yeah. You know, it's just not very cool. 
So they try and do, so whenever they try and do something like that, they bomb, you know, so you get the Dark Cauldron, the Black Cauldron, so. Yes. On Lord of the Rings and all those kind of fans and D&D as well. Um, and it doesn't work. No. You know, um, because it's weird when you kind of watch it. It's like, this may be based on an established book, but the book, while it doesn't have the gravitas as Lord of the Rings and the, the, the majesty and the scope of it, but also it's just like, why, you just shoot that live action, surely. Why animating it seems to be a poor uh, version of it because it automatically looks young. And yet, so therefore, even if you're trying to tell a story that's dark and foreboding, everyone looking at it going, it's a Disney film. So therefore, I'll take my kids to it. And, you know, and then they're going to be frightened by bits. And then so the younger children are going to be scared. The older children are like, well, I don't want to see this. I'd rather see, you know, I'm older and mature now. I want to see something live action and more realistic. Yes. So it's completely the wrong approach, but it's the actions of people that are desperate to try and cash in for different markets. Mm. So, of course, that pretty much killed, you know, Disney for years. And I mourned the loss of that for the 80s. Pretty much they, they'd gone. And then we come back. There was, there was Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. There was Basil the Great Mouse Detective, wasn't there? There was, but it wasn't very successful. It was there, yeah. but it was, I wouldn't call that a, a Disney classic, you know? It did okay, I believe, but it's not something that you'll see banded around a lot. And, but yeah, so Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, back to form, they found a new format, let's do musicals. Brilliant idea, you know? Yeah. And they're doing, every, they're doing a film every three years, and it's all good, and then they go, well wait, just a minute. We can make more money here because why, we've got one animation studio, why not open the studio in Florida? And we can do more. So let's have our... And, and then suddenly you have, like, different classes of Disney film because you've got the A-team, you know, so every three, year, every three years you're, you've got, like, a good one, but then the other years are the, you know, the less experienced animators, and suddenly you've got one film out a year and, you know, they're not all good, and then everyone's had enough of that. It lowers but the brand. In cows, you know, people have pretty much gone... I think we don't really need to see any more of these. Hmm. So what was so, the, the B-team doing? What sort of films are they churn out? Well, you'll have things like Treasure Planet, which is a little bit of a miscue. I mean, that might have had, to be honest, Glenn Keane and people on board. Um, like an A-team example would be Tarzan. So that's a, that's the top animators, Glenn Keane. Um, everything's behind it. It's a good, you know, solid piece of Disney work. Then you've got things like Home on the Range, the last one that pretty much killed it. That's a definitely like a B team, if not C team action. That's, you know, it's got Roseanne Barr in it. Oh, it's about yogli cows. Oh my word. How did this even get uh, green lit? All really. I mean, that's, and uh, unsurprisingly, the audiences weren't gripped by the tale of the, the a Western with cows. Yes. Thing. So, certainly, uh, I remember the the Disney revival with The Little Mermaid, that, and that was trumpeted at the time. Like, thank goodness they're back. It's a golden age has returned again. Unless your child has well, been brought up on Rachel. Three years. So you had you had um, Little Mermaid, you had Beauty and the Beast, you had Aladdin, you had Lion King. These are good, mm. fantastic, you know, return to film. You can call them classics. You know, they are films people want to watch again. Yeah, yeah they were films adults watch. But yeah, it, it did have a huge cultural impact when it, when it got, when it got properly revived. I mean, these days, when you think of Disney animation, you're more likely to think of Pixar. Yes. Um, because Pixar came along and went, we can, we understand the skill ethic. We understand the quality, you know, the aspirations of the Disney company. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to combine that amount of attention to detail and love 
and emotion. You know, Disney films are known for their, their emotion. We're going to do that, but we're also going to put in humour that teenagers will like, yes. you know, and adults will like. You're not just taking a film with your children to go and see a Disney film. You know, uh, we don't want that. We want it to be anyone can watch this and enjoy it on a, a number of levels, you know. So Toy Story comes along that, you know, on on a superficial level, you know, small children will like. It's about toys. Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty. It's it's kind of slapstick in places. But then anyone who, you know, is older will see the emotional ties of the story and then the humour as well. You know, the little references and little riffs off things. It's smart. It's you know, it's very and, clever because every adult had a childhood, and absolutely. It, it, Toy Story invokes your childhood in in a very primal way. I think. It's like, uh, I wish. But yes, yeah, uh, do something Disney weren't able to do. They couldn't get that leap from from appealing to everyone. You either were love films, adults, or either liked Disney films, or they didn't. You know, and a lot of people had a resentment to them for various reasons because they were too saccharine sweet, or you know, various things. Obviously, as as a someone who wanted to get into that industry and draw those characters, I obviously was completely in love with Disney films. But I, I understand that's from perspective of me wanting to draw those characters. I don't know many of my friends. Some of them did, but I don't think I wouldn't say the majority of my friends would be eagerly clamouring to see the next Disney film. It was definitely a, a kind of a you know a part of that group that uh, were like that kind of thing. Uh, and so I'd imagine, you know, for, for most people, it's it's something that if you've got children, definitely you'll be going and seeing a Disney film. Uh, but, you know, certainly not teenagers yeah. you know, and people yeah. who want to be cool and um, slightly more alternative take. So Pixar pretty much changed the game completely and Disney suffered from it because they were begin they were beginning to look tired and kind of old hat, really. Their values were looking kind of. Just ridiculous. Um, and especially when, obviously, DreamWorks started the kind of opened the can of worms. Because now it was, they pretty much wiped the slate clean because they went, you don't have to have a animation house that is built on the knowledge of animators from the past 50, 60 years. CGI, that is a completely, I know it's based on the same principles in animation, but it is a new technology. So therefore you can have a whole new group of people learning the ropes. Yes. And so that's why you don't, you know, no one compete with Disney on a 2D animation level, but plenty of people could start competing with Pixar, just to a to a lesser or greater extent, with with um, um, CGI animation. Yes. And so, you know, you see kind of DreamWorks, all these kind of things, and then from that we get Shrek, which then, you know, Shrek arrives and goes, and and there are some animators, ex-Disney animators who who have joined. Dream works yes. at this stage. They go like, yeah, we're going to take this property that is kind of like a, an anti-fairy tale, but we're going to, not just going to do that. I think we're going to take us a few pot shops at, you know, the mouse. <laughs> so there is, you know, and they're taking their, you know, their perfectly justified, I think, in a lot of it, that, that kind of big corporate business machine that is Disney. They are, they are taking pot shots at it and, and Disney is left reeling from it because because suddenly the the thing that they're desperately holding on to, as things are going pear shaped, they're looking at they're looking at um, uh, their, their their classics, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 suddenly Shrek is is poking fun at it. But yeah. Shrek is not 
plagiarism. You know, it is unique. It is a an original thing well, based on a based on a book. And even though it's it's drawing comparisons to it, it's drawing it through parody. Okay. Yes. Uh, um, and to get back on the topic, yes. even though after my rant of things, but that this sets up the kind of context of why you know there is resentment and there is this things going on. And so yeah, so kind of, since then there obviously yeah the continuing uh, plagiarism continues disgruntled animators etc that, but that's in the other world of animation and uh, this is obvious when you see it but you know plagiarism is not a, a unique concept to animators no not at all uh, I, people are always happy to steal a good idea uh, I mean uh, the, when we when we first raised when we first started discussing this idea the thing that came to my head was asylum films yeah. um, and you've you've researched them as well and it's funny because they are it is an incredibly cheeky thing that they're doing, but in a funny sort of way. I have, I feel I have, I'm, I'm willing to let them get away with it just because they're such underdogs. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's pure trickery. I mean, to explain what asylum, they will look at the list of films that are coming out in the following year and then they will do a, a title that's as damn close to it as they can get without yeah. breaking copyright and then they'll stick it out on DVD. And of course, it's it's bought by accident. I mean, there are people who, who follow Asylum because they love low budget, straight to DVD movies. Uh, but yes, it's it's the the typical sales angle is your grand goes there and buys, you know, Atlantic Rim instead of Pacific Rim, yes, <laughs> or, or or some variation of a Thor film because Thor's a mythological character. Anyone can make a Thor film, or or very famously, I think they're most well, one of the most troubled ones is, is a Sherlock Holmes slash Iron Man. Cobble together thing, which which combines the uh, really yeah. Wow, what's what's your experiences with, with asylum? Because I didn't know it as a kind of internet phenomenon. Uh, um, well, I mean, I think did they did Sharknado, didn't they? Which is a kind of well, you could call that an original property if such a thing could exist from that. But I did see a thing. I did see. Um, we did watch. I did watch with Leo part of Atlantic Rim. Oh, it's awful. I've seen it. I've uh, seen clips. Honest, of. some of these. <laughs> the thing about the thing about these these plagiaristic titles, out and out plagiaristic things from certain from aside, some of them begin to sound like porn parody names. They sound begin to sound a bit, bit dubious. But I saw Atlantic Rim, and that was um, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. I must admit. I mean, you know, uh, hats off to them for trying to do something crazy, a massive big <laughs> kind of rip off of Pacific Rim. But, um, yeah, you know, the effects are always going to be a bit dodgy. It was okay, but I don't think we watched all of it. It would get a bit silly after a while. Yes, it, it's, it's sometimes quite amusing to see what films they think are going to be big so, hits. The thing is, they kind of get away with it because they're so bad. Yes. That I don't think anyone seriously is going to bother suing them over things because, well, they might do. There might be some lawsuits. I have no idea. Possibly. Because they, they generally are very obviously rip-offs. But I think... That, I think only the the mentally enfeebled may well confuse the two that you're buying. Like you say, I mean, I think there is a bit of that, you know, there is a bit of that trickery comes in, certainly on the, D, the DVD sales. But, you know, anyone who has any kind of inkling of what a film is, is not going to buy that by mistake. Yes. Or well. rather not going, is, unless they love bad filmmaking, he's not going to make the choice of, I'm going to buy my copy of Atlantic Rim instead of Pacific Rim. In any ways, I think it just, I think for most, it's kind of an interesting little subgenre of films that 
I think is fairly harmless. It's yes. good luck with anything. I don't really think that the big it, players it's are... so dumb, I'd give them a pass. I mean, just give it a few examples. Uh, Prometheus, they mirrored that with Alien Origin. Oh, what else have nice. got here? Um, oh, yes, uh, After Earth. That's actually better. <laughs> After Earth, they mirrored that with something called A.E. Apocalypse Earth. Atlantic Rim yeah. Hansel and Gretel, in which, which of course mirrors Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. We have uh, Jack the Giant Killer instead of Jack the Giant Slayer. That's a bit cheap. Yes. Uh, Android Cop, which I think is just like, you know, quiet <laughs> now, are you? Uh, but yeah, the, the, there's t- the Terminators. What, what's, what, what's that going to be a parody of exactly? Oh, well, <laughs> They're not t- really trying, are they? Titanic <laughs> 2. I mean, it's just, it's just got to admire some of these. And of course, Sharknado, which has become their kind of franchise well, breakout. This is one I've just, I, I, I was looking up this site this morning with a list of these things. This one is, this, this one they were taking some risks. So there's this film called Clash of Empires that came out in 2012. And you kind of think, well, what's, what's that? But the original title was Age of the Hobbits. <laughs> Hawkins <laughs> lawyers on the phone for now, you, sir. This is, there is a reason why those of you uh, D&D aficionados will know Hobbits as halflings in their setting is because, you know, Hobbit is a registered trademark and owned by the by the uh, uh, the family. Yeah. And therefore, you can't call small diminutive creatures Hobbits who don't wear shoes, etc. They have to be called something else. Um, so, yes, Age of Hobbits was um, somewhat an, a- ambitious. They decided, obviously due to various reasons they weren't going to call it that anymore. Also known as Lord of the Elves, which is also interesting. So there's obviously a safe title. And then, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, may, I'm suspecting maybe the budget is somewhat uh, reduced. The, oh, yes. The, you know, yes. Qualities would be expected from Pete Jackson. So so I, I may not watch that because it might make my brain bleed. I think some of these, uh, yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, I, I, you watch them in a kind of morbid fascination. I imagine you watch them take the piss. Purely yeah, on them. It's, it's a good laugh. I think this is definitely like a kind of a beer and video kind of session. You sit there with your friends and you just, um, just you know, take this out of it. I think that's really. But there's there's some kind of worthy attempts at you know. I quite like the. Uh, it's got that kind of pulpy feel. Yes. You know, they pick kind of out their subjects that obviously the Hollywood is not going to touch with the barge pole. So some of their own kind of would you call them kind of own productions are kind of crazy, and you're not going to get anywhere else, like kind of Sharknado, and um, I don't know, there's, there's various kind of things, Nazis, involving Nazis and various things. So yeah, it's, you know, if you, listen, if you have a, if you have a hankering for that kind of silliness, then you'll find plenty of examples of these things. But well, yeah, I don't think, a few people would take them entirely seriously. Yes. Well, yeah, it's a, it's buying them by accident is the only thing that's going to happen, isn't it, really? But yes, yeah, so yeah, I... I so, I suppose what are the reasons for plagiarism, really, I suppose? Well, I mean, one, obviously, is to make money, but what are the approaches? Because I think, you know, as we can see, there's not, it's not always just high espionage kind of among corporates. I'm sure sometimes just it's coincidence, right? Yes. I'm, I'm quite, I mean, you know, our, our, our meteorite movies coming out the same year, our Martians invading the Earth movies coming out in the same year. Yeah. I think there's ideas that are in the zeitgeist and... They sometimes these things so. just kick in together. Um, and I think I think it's more about the I think the the, the 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 slightly underhand nature comes from the release schedule. I'm sure because if you know you're making your film about a volcano 
and um, <laughs> yes. and you know, and the, your two independent companies making a big disaster film about volcanoes. Uh, if you hear that something's coming out, you know, in the summer, um, and your film is ready to go, then you're probably going to push it through either earlier, so it looks like it's all or your idea, or in the wake of it, so that anyone going along to see that big volcano move or whatever it is might might get confused or might just go, oh, it's probably just like that. It, it has to be said, if you find yourself in that situation, it's best to get out first, I would have thought, even though it may not be the ideal time to release your film. The difference between Asylum and, and the company that made, you know, Shark's Tale to to try and stalking horse, um, yeah. you know, uh, Nemo, Asylum is kind of riding on the coattails. Asylum yeah. is going, these things are now known properties for the moment, so we're going to hold out our hat and sing a little tune. Whereas Shark's Tale, there's, there's the, the sort of cheeky maliciousness about it, we're going to steal your thunder. You know, yeah. is 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 a whole different order of things. I haven't seen Shark's Tale. Have did you? Have you seen this? Yeah, it's it's you know. I mean, it doesn't pass. It it doesn't resemble Finding Nemo, other than the fact that it's got fish in it. But by that nature, though, it's going to look similar. Yes, it's almost like a kind of a Goodfellows thing. Shark Tale. Oh dear. The sharks are kind of. I think they've even got. If memory serves. They've got some. You know, a listers from those films. Might even be Robert De Niro. Um, uh, I think there were several actually. Um, the sharks are kind of the mafia. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's completely its own story and it's much more, anach- well, I don't know what the term would be, maybe anachronistic in, in terms of the, the fish act like much more like humans. It's like they have a town that looks more like a human town. Mm. Uh, anthropomorphic, I think is the right term. Um, yes. Uh, even though they are, they don't have arms and they don't pick up things. But they, whereas Finding Nemo, they're pretty much fish in a fit in an underwater environment that is only slightly tweaked to look, you know, slightly more more like a town or something. Yes. So, so it's much, yeah, it's much more like that. So it's, it, it it looks different, but you know, it's still fish underwater, and it came out slightly before Finding Nemo. So, you know, it worked. <laughs> yes. Because they they stole the thunder. Yes, but, uh, but it's an entirely separate property. I think Nemo still because because Nemo it was a Pixar. It was Pixar, wasn't it? Nemo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it still it still did it still got no, notoriety. Well, it's Pixar. Well, maybe not now, but it, if you could, the sad thing is you could say the golden age of Pixar already, which is a bit that is very sad. Like Pixar, but that's still in that period where everyone's a winner. You look for quality, you know, you know what you're getting, and at that stage, much like Disney in its heyday, you know, people couldn't really, people come close to it, but people couldn't really touch Pixar. You know, you had a mark of stamp of quality there and originality and various things. So I think, you know, you would watch it and you go, this is a kind of a fun joke, shark tale. This is a fun jokey film, but it's not really got the heart. It's not really, mm. it, it's not, it, it, it's, it's an inferior film in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, Made in half the time, I imagine. Yeah, and it's it's fine, you know, it's it's fine. It's probably quite forgettable. It's got lots of, it's got far more famous people in it. But then that's often a trick with animation houses. If the story and the film isn't great, just get a load of A-listers in. It, it has to be said. I think I think the oh, Woody Allen doing the ant flick yeah. in Ants was inspired casting. You yeah. know, my entire life I've only been able to lift ten times my own body weight. I mean, it, the, the sort of neuroses of of the, an inferior yeah, ant you know, 
Um, but that's that's generally you see a lot of this in the kind of you know the the people that are trying to make trying to make an effort and trying to beat the big boys. They they will employ very famous people. Mm. Um, you're obviously going to get famous people in Pixar and stuff, but they don't tend to be like this is a film with so and so in it. You know, yeah, I mean, are more obvious for that. Toy Story has you know Tom Hanks and it has the guy whose name escapes me who does Buzz, who I suppose is now famous for doing Buzz. Probably the biggest thing he, he yes. was. But it doesn't really have anybody else in there, does it? It just has more no. or less voice, people who do voice work in general. In and they're not, I mean, with the exception of Tom Hanks, who's obviously, yes, I class him as an A-lister. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's people in it, but they're more, they're, I, th- I would I would like to imagine, I'm sure this is the case, you know, you don't usually pick voices just because it's someone famous. You try and choose a voice that is right for the role, and then obviously the animation usually goes hand in hand with that. So they will look at various things when they're choosing. So you don't tend to just have it must have Angelina Jolie in. It must have whoever you know Tom Cruise or whatever. It, it it's they tend to think a little bit deeper than that um, for the emotional kind of resonance of it. In those kind of in, the, in certainly Pixar's case and, so, and Disney as well. Let's let's go to uh, some other stealing ideas and hmm. cheeky shenanigans. What other what other morsels can you pull out from your scandal bag? <laughs> well, you know, there there is. Um, I say some of these might be just kind of coincidence, but certainly in recent times, uh, we've had Mirror Mirror and Snow White. They came out within a couple of months of each other, I believe. <laughs> that's that's definitely in the zeitgeist, though. That about about the fairy tales. You know, yeah. fairy tales are in right. So, and certainly not just fairy tales, but fairy tales with a kind of a darker side, a more adult take. So it's it's interesting because sometimes films kind of plagiarise what's popular in terms of maybe TV and stuff like that, and sometimes it's the other way around. You get you get TV shows based off of films. Um, I would think probably in this case it's TV, right? Because the yeah. things things like I remember maybe Supernatural started it, but that, that type of approach that then went into Grimm and all these kind of things is. Well, I think you can see it. Fairy tale resurgence started with that, as far as I know. There was indeed, there was a court case about this in the 70s of um, Lucas suing Larson because Battlestar Galactico was a rip-off of Star Wars. If you look at that, it's pretty much... (laughs) Yes. Yes. If you look at the the Viper, you know, that is an X-Wing, okay? It's It's got the architecture of it, the engineering a bit changed as a wing here, there, moved around... But the thing is, between white and red, I mean, you know, and it's got a long, you know, cockpit fuselage thing, and with wings tapped. That's an X-wing. Yes, and of course yeah. the uh, the base stars, very, yes. very reminiscent yes. of the Death Star, isn't it? Um, yes, there's and so, you know, Cylons, Reeds, kind of stormtroopers, that kind of faceless approach. I mean, it's not. The thing is, though, you could say though that you know, Lucas is also responsible for yes. some degree of plagiarism <laughs> himself. There has to be. I mean, uh, yeah. Apart from anything else, uh, the, the case failed, and I think rightly so. I think you can't you can't copyright concepts like no. that. Uh, what else was there? Oh yes, Larson was good because he tried he, he tried to turn Tron into a series with Auto Man. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and let us never speak of Auto Man again. If it's a, if it's, a... I, I will never watch it again. I'll just. You know, in my mind, when I was a young, tender child, watching such things, it was a fantastically cool, and I will never, ever look at it again. Yes. I, I know my, 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 yes, it, that will all come crumbling down. A bit like, 
a bit like Smurfs, oh, where I found found a Smurf in a toy shop in about ten years ago and went, "What is this piece of crap? It's like badly painted." Was I really enamoured by these things? You know. Um, so yes, it's uh, it's it's best to keep some things, but but certainly yeah. And, and you could say, I suppose, Buck Rogers, even though that's based on another property, uh, was definitely influenced, uh, and that came again came in the wake of Star Wars. Well, you know, uh, in terms of knockoffs of Star Wars, my goodness, who wasn't making well, a, a cheap Star Wars I film? Think, I think anything that anything that comes along that makes a huge cultural impact is going to create genres. It's going to create a need for more of that. Yeah. Uh, um, I think there's, we just like more, you know, we like things that we like. And, and, it, and if you like Star Wars, you know, there's a few people that do, then you, other than just keep watching the films again, you want, you want a Star Warsy feel in things, you know, you want that. You know, things aren't, if you watch things, derivative things, probably aren't going to surpass it. No. Um, but, you know, they can be, you know, they can still be entertaining and be reminiscent of that experience and hopefully something something different. Well, um, so, yeah, I mean... I uh, think there's a, there, there is a... I mean, what, you know, there is... The term homage and plagiarism, I mean, there there may be a thin line in certain cases. Yes. You know, homage is acceptable. You know, you can be influenced by things and it's very difficult to not to be influenced by anything. Well, I, I would I, say Pixar films are full of little homages to uh, more famous films, classic films. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, part of the fun of such things are is to looking at those references and, you know, noting them, going, ah, yes, I see what you did there. But it's when that oversteps the boundary, that's the thing. It's creatively, it's if you go too far, then you are then you are into either parody or or out and out plagiarism. Comic books, uh, the character of Shazam. Uh, you, you... Oh, uh, Superman. Yes. You... Again, again, it's the same kind of, it's the thing with Star Wars. You know, it's like this thing comes out, this has a massive, you know, Superman arrives and no one's seen anything like this before. Mm. You know, this is fantastical. We've had pulp superheroes, but you know, they could just see into men's minds and, you know, maybe speak to animals. They couldn't throw cars around and fly, well, at that stage, jumping buildings. This is like, you know, a breakthrough in terms of kind of culture. A character can be this, you know. So, of course, you know, this is hugely influential and everyone is like mad reading these comics. You know, clearly other people want something that's similar. You know? A bit too similar in this case. I mean, in terms of the character's background, how the powers work, I think it was dissimilar enough. I think yeah. this is kind of the body shape and the hair colour and the chiseled jawline. Yes, it's 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 too yeah. similar to... um. It does look like a cheap knockoff Superman toy, doesn't it? With his little yeah. zigzag lightning stripe. I mean, um, uh, they were they were sued successfully by DC. The character was originally called uh, Captain Marvel, wasn't he? Or was Mister Marvel? Yes. And subsequently, they've had to change the name Marvel because, of course, there is another character called Marvel in the Marvel universe. So he's now just known as Shazam. And of course, Shazam is the magic word he says to change from a small boy into a superhero. Yes. So, I think, how does he introduce himself to people? Now, this is what I, this is what I worry about. That, that, that's got to be. Yeah. You, look at, you look at that and go, guys, I can see what you're trying to do, but that is just so blatant. How did you expect to get away with that on, on a long-term basis? You've, you've, yeah, you've, there's, a, there's another one as well. I'm just looking up here. So Will Eisner, those of you, who are, I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, Will Eisner from The Spirit. Um, but in his, that's, I imagine his younger days when he's trying to kind of break into and, and kind of do these kind of things, 
he creates a character called uh, Wonder Man. No, yeah, Wonder Man. So that one, that one was kind of stamped upon for various reasons. Yes, um, he's got blonde hair, but you know he's he's got a red jumpsuit and and he's leaping around and throwing planes around and etc. Yes, uh, um, and you know he's. He's man with with the uh, with the blank being something incredible and powerful and yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's been going on a long time hasn't it this fight yeah. <laughs> oh and you also you're talking about film posters and plagiarism oh yes this seems interesting uh, well this is there is a there's a lot of this goes on with kind of foreign films um, and I suppose they can get away with it because they um, uh, they will, sh- even though the property has got nothing to do with, with, with the original film, they will absolutely rip off, uh, the images on the posters. So, I- either because they become very familiar and therefore, you know, by process of that kind of linking, you kind of go, you pick up something and it's got, you know, uh, the one I, the example I saw was one of Blade. So the Blade poster, uh, and DVD cover is quite striking. You've got Wesley Snipes standing there. You've got the a bright red kind of background with a kind of a transparent kind of eyes, a female kind of looking there. So it's quite, you know, in your face. And um, there was a, an Asian film. I, I don't forget the name of it because I was looking at it earlier in the week, which is it's considering this is just like a crime drama. It's a guy, he appears to be wearing exactly the same costume, which is clearly photoshopped, because it's exactly the same build, you know. And why would he be wearing, like, I mean, Blade's costume is quite distinctive, so why would just someone in the street be wearing that? So it's almost identical, but everything else is also just almost cut and paste. They might have used a different female's eyes, and we obviously got the actor. But everything else is like, if you if you were, you think it was like a, an Asian remake. Yes. Uh, as you looked at it. I, I imagine there are lawsuits involved in these things, I suppose, when it's clearly kind of taken like that. But this is, but some of them are kind of really weird. Like you get supernatural kind of film and stuff and they become something else entirely. So I just think there's some kind of, I think when it's really an iconic cover or poster, I think on a, on a certain level, you are kind of, if you see something like that, you are going to be, if you like that thing, you are going to have a more favourable attitude to it. I'm sure that's why they do it, even though it's got nothing to do with a totally different genre, but in some level, there's a kind of a link mm. in your brain to it. It is uh, bizarre trying to figure out, I mean, are they trying to trick people to go see it who are fans of the other film? Are they just I mean, like, I, we can't really bother to think, think of an image so, because, as well. you know, if you... I mean, might, maybe, I mean, maybe work on a foreign language film where someone might actually... Uh, who may not, who may have seen the film might think it's a remake, but I mean, they don't, I mean, they're usually, you know, the strap lines and stuff pretty much show that this is not anything to do with, um, what that might have been. But I think it just on some level, people make a, a kind of connection to it because it's so iconic. I mean, going back to, I say, uh, the idea of this has been going on a while. I mean, I think one thing I always remembered, uh, certainly in film, was um, Nosferatu. Yes, of and, course. Um, have you seen Nosferatu? Of it's course I've seen Nosferatu. It's, it's Orlok. It's spectacular. It is. It's spectacular. But this is one of those occasions where actually I quite like Nosferatu. I do too. I, in some ways I prefer Nosferatu, certainly as a character and the look of it, than Dracula. Uh, I mean, the, the plot is essentially a photocopy. I mean, it's a Dracula yeah, wants to get some identical. property in, you know... So, 
But the performance of that actor, yes. Nosferatu, that stick, whenever I think of a kind of a vampire, I tend to think more, rather than the opera cloaked, clad kind of, you know, hammer kind of uh, vampire. Velvet dinner uh, suit I guy. I tend to think of the kind of creepier, bald, kind of, you know, kind of something more feral and, yes. and kind of nastier and creepier. That to me, is a more, much more effective vampire looking creature than just this guy who's just like, oh, I want to drink your blood, you know, um, swanning around like that. It's, it's, so in some ways, you know, sometimes the plagiarism, they kind of go, well, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll keep the same story, but let's have fun with, let's try and make it different. Maybe those, those differences actually improve, you know, on the original. I don't know. I don't think, it's probably rare that. I can't think of other, other instances. Can you think of anything that, well, I, can, I, know, I know there was a lot of, because copyright wasn't as strong as it was in the early days, so a lot of film prints just got stolen and copied. Really? Um, uh, the, the very famous um, black and white, what's the one they crash land on the moon and the capsule crashes into the moon's eye? Very oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, we should know I this. Uh, yes, but, I should know that. <laughs> but the creator of that, basically his prints were like taken by somebody else and duplicated and distributed in America and never got a penny for it. Um, oh. But yeah, Nosferatu. I've seen. I've seen Nosferatu. It is still a creepy film. Yeah, and yes. and it is it is blatantly rip off of not even of Dracula because it, the plot's about a guy who goes to a foreign country because some guy wants to buy some property where he's living and he gets trapped there whilst Ocula goes over and Ocula whatever the vampire's called is harassing his wife. So yeah. you know all, all the kind of plot points from Dracula. It's like the first half of Dracula, but then they kind of resolve it in a different way. Uh, and ultimately, Nosferatu is a much more tragic and lonely creature, yeah. I think, than than than, than Dracula is. Yeah, I just think anyway, the name is great. You know, it's got a lot. You know, it's just more sinister sounding. And I don't. Know, it's, I I think probably the look of that vampire was more influential. Yes, more influential than than the more aristocratic vampire, which. You know, I think... You're not going to have a sparkly love story with Nosferatu, are you? Uh, no. But, you know, I mean, I remember, well, um, those of you who, uh, who are into role-playing, when, when, when in the 90s, um, when the kind of, along with the resurgence of vampire culture with uh, Anne Rice and all these kind of things, um, so there was a role-playing game uh, called Vampire the Masquerade, and that had different types of... It was rather clever because it had... It was, it, everyone played vampires, and you had different types of vampires but you didn't have an opera clad as far as i remember there was no opera clad kind of count dracula vampire but there was certainly a class that was based on nosferatu yes uh, i think there might be like an aristocracy sort of there class. Might have been, but they didn't go down you know they may well have had some tried to well to be honest those ones were more like the Anne rice kind of yes uh, uh, kind of cool rice. suave sexy vampires who would have been more aristocratic, but you know they they weren't walking around with a thick translation accent, and you know that became at that stage had become somewhat of a joke, you know that kind of hammer uh, thing, which evolved more from the Dracula. I mean, I, I, it's a lot since I've read Dracula, but you know I think all that kind of opera stuff is, is being exaggerated in the films more than the books. I imagine the books don't really present a character that kind of ridiculous. No. But so yeah, it's so. I think sometimes, you know, thing, good things come out of it, but it's clearly, it's clearly something that's been going along a long time. 
Well, I think it's it's an odd thing. It's like Sherlock Holmes. Dracula is now seen as like a period horror story. It's not a period horror story. It was a contemporary novel when it came out. Yeah. And Sherlock Holmes is the same. Sherlock Holmes is a contemporary mystery series. That it, the, but as people these days are kind of obsessed with the with the fog and the gas lamps, and the yeah. let's get into our handsome cabs now, shall we, and things like that. So yeah, I I, I think it probably is uh, the whole whole dinner suit and red velvet cape um, thing is probably a product. Of uh, early silent film and things like that, Bela Lugosi and yeah. things like that. Yes, so yeah, um, cheap knockoffs and people trying to make money off bigger projects and people trying to stick one to their former boss. Uh, <laughs> essentially, this this is this yeah, is the reason. All right, I mean, I think it's human nature, though. I think you know something is popular, and you know there are a few people that can instigate absolutely genuine ideas. That are that are completely unique, and obviously that requires uh, a, a lot of talent and a lot of effort, and um, it's much easier to yes. do something that's similar to something else and make not as much money, but certainly make some money. Yeah. I, I think it's just human nature. I think it's just will always be. I think, and I'm sure you could probably cite this going back to Renaissance paintings and you know cavemen. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure as soon as someone could do something creatively, someone was listening three feet away and went, well, if I bang those rocks that are similar, I might be able to get credit for this. Well, if, if, if Lee were here, I feel right now he would be, he'd be citing Shakespeare and pointing out that Shakespeare never did an original story in his life. They were all stolen and rehashed ideas, just given his usual flair and polish. Uh, and so I suppose plagiarism starts once you invent copyright and intellectual property. Until yes. then, there is no plagiarism. There's just culture. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps uh, <laughs> questions best put to him upon his return. <sighs> um, oh, thank you for that, sir. Thank you, thank you for, for throwing yourself into the breach uh, at our absence. <laughs> Leo, who's gone on holiday. Oh, yeah. I'm on holiday, and I have a cold. I'm still doing a show. <laughs> Lightweight. Well, someone, someone who very often disappears because they've suddenly got something else to do. I can't really say anything on the matter of uh, <laughs> uh, duty to the cause. So I think I think I think I'll allow Leo uh, time off for good behaviour on this occasion. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, in that case, uh, if if people like to go somewhere to point out some great ideas that we could steal for a future podcast, uh, they could go to our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the Eighties Kids, and that's eighties as in numbers, so eight zero S. Please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. But uh, Podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids dot podomatic dot com, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download your own PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is only where most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcast, they must go to... Oh, he's not here, is he? Well, <laughs> no. go, to, go to leostableford.com if you must, and there you will find a complete archive of all our past shows. But, uh, Justin, uh, where can people go to find examples of your original uh, artwork? <laughs> uh, yes, and I don't want any plagiarism, please. You know, although I might consider that flattery. But, um, no, uh, yeah, you can find examples of my artwork at on my Deviant Art page uh, at uh, Justin Wyatt. Uh, under, that, under that name, you will find examples there. Excellent. And yes, 
Thank you again, sir. And hopefully we will have freed uh, Leo from the carbonite by next week and we can resume <laughs> his normal duties of doing 80% of the talking on this show. <laughs> Indeed. Actually, yeah, it's quite hard work doing yes. <laughs> it's doing at least half. <laughs> How does he do it? He just turns it on, doesn't he? It comes out like a tap. He's ever had a problem not talking, so uh, yes. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's very natural for him to fill in the spaces. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, until next week, friends, uh, in which Justin may or may not be here, uh, <laughs> but I will be, come hell or high water, I suppose I shall have to say, right. yeah, have to say, uh, we do, we do our best. But, uh, until then, farewell. Goodbye. Goodbye.